This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey backpackers, Bird Shooter here. Tonight on the show we speak with a veteran of the podcast. Philip, aka 3Dub, joins us again to talk about his summer in 2019 when he hiked mostly in Spain and a bit in Portugal covering around 2,400 miles and doing multiple routes on the Camino de Santiago. We last spoke with Philip two years ago in episode 56 when he talked in detail about his first hike on the Camino and there's a lot of great information on how to hike the trail in that podcast. But tonight, Philip tells us why he returned to the historic route and did it multiple times over the summer. We also discuss his time these last two years on the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and Tour de Mont Blanc, what drives him to explore these long-distance trails, and Philip shares a recent adventure that had him packing up and leaving his campsite in the middle of the night. So here's the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome 3Dub back to the show. He is a veteran of the series, having appeared in five podcasts since 2011, and he has shared his adventures on the Appalachian Trail, the Camino de Santiago, and his opinions on hiking and backpacking movies and the most influential backpackers of all time. But he is here tonight to tell us about his summer hiking in Spain. Philip, thanks for coming. Hey, cheers. Welcome to Bird Shooter Studios. Yeah. Your first appearance, right? Yeah. What do you what do you think? I like it, yes. Yeah. Definitely an upgrade. Yes. Definitely an upgrade. It is. Well hopefully an audio upgrade yeah. for the listeners as well. So as I said, uh Philip, you've been on five podcasts, mostly recorded in the backcountry, but never in the studio. Um <laughs> is this a little different than our uh, our backcountry recordings? Yeah, it's been a while because every time I usually uh come over here and it's usually just throw my bag in the back of the truck and off we go. Yeah. Well, that was a good answer because I'm about to cook you dinner. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you better keep me happy with the yeah. responses. Anyway. Um, so the last time that we spoke, Philip was September, 2018. Can you, can you believe that it's been that long? Yeah. I have. <laughs> not, not that we haven't been on some backpacking trips together and talked frequently, but we right. haven't talked, uh, Talked for the uh, podcast audience, I should say. No, well, I mean, it's been a long stretch since then, too, so. Yeah, you want to give yeah. us some updates just on what you've been doing, with, uh, what you've been up to in the last two years, some life changes there? We don't have to delve into that too much, but just. Uh, no, um, you know, just wandered for a while on the uh, AT, uh, did the first 441 miles, I guess, on the PCT, and then went to the Camino and spent the summer in Spain and Portugal. And that's what we're here to talk about. See, you haven't been through hiking for uh, what over twelve months. I mean, what do you miss most about it? Uh, the rhythm, just early mornings, sun sunrises and sunsets. Um, I just, you know, there's just the whole rhythm of walking, and it's a little bit different in whether you're hiking in the wilderness or you're not. 
um, there is quite a difference because just the amount of people, one is a lot more social than the other. And it's not that <clears throat> the trails aren't social, but there's a lot more solitude and yourself time, you know, on the uh, more, you know, wild trails. Yeah, when you're when you're long distance hiking, I hear you. What do you, what do you miss the least beside probably not bathing for multiple days at a time? No, I bathe every day. Uh, yeah, every even day. on the AT, you pulled that off. Oh, multiple times a day, <laughs> three, four, five times a day, especially in the summertime. Every time I crossed a water source, I took a bath. Okay, well that's fair. I mean, um, there, there's plenty of water on the AT, so I hear on you. the uh, PCT. I have never, ever, ever been dirtier in my whole life. Oh yeah, and absolutely just so happy. Uh, you know, I tell you, I was so surprised about Southern California. Um, you enjoyed it more. You thought that's mostly desert, yeah. right? Is what we're talking. Yeah. But you know, you're at altitude as well. So it moderates, you know, the humidity, okay. um, some of the big variations that are down on, you know, the, the floor of the valley. Yeah. Once you hit the, the floor of the valley though, it's, you know, you're, cooking, you're, scorching. Yeah. You're on the frying pan. Yeah. Lots of fires out there this year. Not a big through hiking year, of course, cause of COVID, but did you, did, were there, were there fire issues, uh, when you were. It was probably too early, and it was a, a wet year yes, last year, so they had a super bloom, okay. which was absolutely unexpected and gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and water sources were a lot more plentiful. Okay. So it was, uh, you know, even though there were still plenty of sections where you needed a, a bit of a water cache, but the, you know, the water was, you know, relatively a lot more available for the, the people that I was talking to. That have done it for years past. They're like, yeah, we've got loads of water this year. Yeah, well, I've heard that the uh, you know just in a normal year, the flowers in the deserts can be you know really pretty. Yeah, but last year was really, um, I think that's what they called the super bloom. Hmm. And uh, I hit it towards the end. Um, I I heard that probably the few weeks before because I started what mid April. Yeah, maybe it was beginning of April. I like the term super bloom. Got a, got a ring to it. Well, it, I think it just means there were places where uh, blooming where it usually doesn't. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, now, I mean, you were in some serious through hiker shape there for a while. You shaved. How, how much weight did you lose when you hit the AT that year? Uh, 57 pounds. 57 pounds. Wow. <laughs> and you've kind of stayed in through hiker shape. I mean, uh, looks like you put a little of it back on, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I could use, like I'd use a. Uh, used to lose a few yeah what, how do you rate your through hiker shape right now oh probably about a five if i you know if i started probably like a couple of days at seven eight miles and then work into a 10 mile 12 mile um yeah i could get back into the rhythm relatively pretty easy but you know that i i don't necessarily think though anything can happen you can slip on a rock and injure yourself boom you know you're, you're finished yeah, you know, so true. But which brings us to the Camino. You want to give us? Uh, you you spent what your entire summer basically in Europe, uh, yeah. hiking the Camino multiple times. But uh, yeah. before we tear into that, you want to um, give us some uh, basically some brief history for somebody that might be just picking up on this for the first time. The Camino de Santiago. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of two. I think they're called National Heritage Trails. Um, or international, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, and it's basically been continuously used as a pilgrimage route for a thousand years. 
um, of one form or another. And when I initially heard about the Camino, I didn't realize I was on one of like 12 Caminos that are, you know, recognized in uh, Spain and Portugal. But there's actually, I've also heard there's routes from, um, you know, Istanbul, Rome, uh, uh, from France. They do this thing called, I think it's called Le Puy. Okay. And <laughs> they lock their door, turn around and just walk to Santiago. Hmm. Interesting. And yeah, I, I met some Germans that have done the same thing and some English as well. One guy from Poland. Okay. So did the same thing. So so in 2018, and we talked about that in episode 56. So listeners, I encourage you to go back and uh, this is pre-studio. So uh, Philip, Philip and I might not sound quite as robust in that interview, but um, I encourage you to go back because Philip and I really get into the details of the Camino de Santiago, which is the French-Spain route. Um, but do you want to talk about, I know you did the Portugal route this time, the differences of the routes and why there's so many different routes and, and where it ends and why? Well, they all uh, end in Santiago because that is where, you know, um, St. James lies, you know, in the cathedral and everybody goes there. And then, um, you know, they usually do like a pilgrim mass where, you know, they will they'll swing the uh, incense, you know, through the uh, cathedral. Um, I encourage anybody and everybody to just listen to the choir. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I saw some video of the incense, by the way. That's like it's not. It's yeah. from way, way, way up in that. Yeah, top it, of the it's ceiling, it's right? really impressive. Yeah, it is it, amazing. It is really mm -hmm. impressive when you do see it. Um, and I mean, I've, I've only seen it twice, but I've been like six or seven times to try and see it. It's not like it's every day. So hey, let's talk about the routes you've done because you mentioned there's multiple, and you did multiple. This you did three. You didn't do one. You didn't do two. You did three Caminos last summer. First of all, I got to ask, I mean, why? Well, it made you want to do it three times in one summer. And you'd already done uh, it. Before. Well, you know, I, I realized one thing on the Appalachian Trail. Um, it really, I didn't necessarily have like this, uh, oh God, set schedule. Okay. So you just let it happen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, and it's and that's when I realized it was the single best way for me to visit my own country. Yeah, yeah. The Appalachian Trail, when you did that. Yeah. Yeah, experience. I mean, come on. Damascus is a great town. Hot Springs is a, I mean, Wayne's, you know, what is it? Waynesboro, Virginia. You know, Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know. You seem like you're getting a little <laughs> choked up here. Like oh, you're, God, like, yeah. you're missing it significantly. <laughs> um, now, this time you took, uh, you did what, the Spain route twice last summer and then you did the portugal route once is that right yeah okay and then i also um just you know you kind of hook up with people you hang out you're going in the same direction so i ended up doing the the maceta again just kind of killing time really more than anything i just wanted to needed to keep walking because i knew i was going to be you know uh doing at least the Francais again from Pamplona, but I didn't actually necessarily expect to do the Portugal. And it's the one thing I like about traveling like that is um, a lot of times when I finish these trips, the people that you meet along the way that you either finished a trip with or you've been traveling for a while, 
um, you end up taking a little bit of time and going visiting them at their own homes um, or just traveling or going what whatever direction everybody's going in. And, and that's what um, you did on this uh, on this last this last summer trip. Yeah, and I did it on, even after my first Camino. I mean, every time that I do something like this, it's usually I give myself a couple of extra weeks or so just to kind of go and hang out. If it just depends on where you're at at the time. Okay. You know, um, you know, Southern California just blew me away. Um, I was expecting just you know um, desert. And it was desert for sure. I mean, we live in Georgia. Yeah, uh, but a little was, different. Yeah, but you know, um, you know, it's so much bigger out there. It, you know, it really is big. Back to the Camino, you met, you mentioned the Meseta. Yeah. That's the valley floor. Is that? The... It's like the plains. Okay, yeah, the, the plains. northern plains. Uh, it's a section. Oh God, how many kilometers is it? Usually, it takes six eight days for a lot of people to do you know some people run through it you know in three to five days you mm. know kind of thing um but one of the things that i liked really about you know traveling the camino come on it's the best way to visit a country is to just walk from town to town village to village right um and the vast all of these places are ancient Mm-hmm. you know in comparison to where we're from and so I'm, I'm looking i'm just walking on a roman road that's 800 years or old or more yeah. I, I cross a bridge you know even the cathedrals that are you know three four five six hundred years old are older the renovation that they did on the cathedral you know in Lyon was 500 years yeah wow <laughs> just the renovation so um that's older than our country very different than hiking the AT or PCT, for sure. Well, you know, there is definitely the social aspect, but, you know, you def- it's definitely more of a travel log as far as history, culture, art, um, language. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, you really do. Now, you know, it, it's it's definitely the, the beaten path, you know, being the Camino. I mean, what is it, like almost 300,000 or more do it every year. Yeah, and I think is they're that, expecting. That's amazing. Well, I think they may be expecting. What is it? A million, maybe, or close to it um, next year. Because so few people went this year. Is that why? Or is no, that? I is this a religious I, I, year? I think it might be a holy year. Yeah. Oh, uh, I gotcha. And can you explain that? Because I notice it spikes uh, like massively during the religious. Yeah, I, years. I can't. I don't know the reason why for the the holy years, but I do know every there is a certain period of time, and they have these, uh, the holy where it actually everything spikes. Uh, whereas so that's kind of the trick when it comes to hiking the Camino it depends on the time of year mm-hmm. um, because you know it's nicer to have a lot of the amenities open but not so crowded so you don't feel so rushed going through uh, or having to book in advance okay um, and and you do have to do that uh, like usually Sometimes in July, August, right, uh, where it's really, really uh, busy. And when you say book, uh, you know, and again, listeners can go to uh, 
go to episode 56 and get a lot of details about the hostels and sleeping in the hostels and we talk about that but you're mainly talking about the hostels and the albergues right yeah and you know you know so everybody seems to have a certain mileage destination that they want to get to it's no different than the at and the pct stuff like that sure um but it's also then now a matter of where can you get a bed for the night sometimes yeah um but you know the there's a community around the Appalachian Trail, around the PCT, and definitely around the Camino. And, you know, you're always, I mean, it's a very historic walk. You know, you see works of art that are just absolutely stunning. Uh, the people are just, you know, the nicest folks in the world. Uh, that's not just the, you know, the, the Spanish. It's also the people that you hike with. Sure. You know, um, but... Hey, so I want to ask you, Philip, and it was on my list here, um, you know, because of COVID-19 this year, obviously there's not a lot of international travel. I mean, you, you think there's anybody out there this year? You think the numbers are completely... I've seen, I've met through hikers on the AT. Um, I met a section hiker while we were actually up, you know, up there the other night, last weekend. Okay. Um, well, I don't doubt that there are. Yeah. Um, the Camino's created a uh, an economy where it's starting to bring back some of these really really small villages now. Uh, you used to walk through them and they were in ruins, and now you see that they're starting to build hostels and restaurants and albergues and everything. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's a shame because I heard Santo Domingo was one of the towns in, you know, a lovely town. Mm. You know, it's hard to hear about that. Well, that was one of the questions I had for you, Philip, was, um, you know, I, I'm fully aware that there's a lot of, um, you know, people that, that they make their living by providing services for Camino hikers. And so uh, I was just wondering, like, how this virus and probably lack of hikers would impact them, you know? Yeah, it's it's a huge hit. Um, and it cascades through all sorts of uh, their parts of the economy. And... Um you know, because there's also shuttle drivers. There's also people that will, you know, take your luggage from one town to the next. So okay. you just tell them what hostel or what albergue you're staying at. They'll drop your bag off and you just hike with a day pack. So it's like a slack pack. You know? It really is. Yeah. Uh, and some of these bags are absolutely huge that they have to, you know, truck <laughs> around. But uh, it's, Got the you hair know, dryer in them. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's a great service. You know, these guys work like clockwork. Okay. You know, um, a lot of these services and the shuttle drivers and, you know, um, everybody is just, they're just so nice. They really are. Yeah. yeah. And obviously the Camino is more of an urban uh, experience than say the AT or PCT, but I mean, you, there's different routes. We talked about this. Very curious to ask you, um, you've done the Spain route now three times. Yeah. And you've done the Portugal route once. Yeah. Compare, compare and contrast the two. You know, I don't know if it was because I had spent all summer in Spain eating Spanish food, but when I went to Portugal, I was like, um, maybe just a little bit of that change in, you know, their diet and everything. I was like, you know, um, no more tortilla. (laughs) But, uh, and I I love tortilla. I'm quite a tortilla snob now. Okay. You know, but. um, These are homemade. You're not talking about uh, tortillas made in. You know, mass produced. These are probably well. Tortilla, right? tortilla in Spain is actually a uh, potato and egg, okay. uh, like a, like sort of like a quiche. It's like they bake it, 
but the difference between the good ones and the ones that aren't so good is you know some of them are like really dry like cardboard others have more egg and more flavor to them okay um and they have these chorizo ones that are really <laughs> you're making me hungry right now i see yeah. your uh you got a big smile on your face of dreaming about one but uh probably one of the best meals i had in my life was at antonio's <laughs> that's a pizza place no um what is the town now we talking uh, we're talking portugal or spain here portugal okay um yeah, these, you know, croquettes that they made were just dynamite. Uh, I'm not a fish eater, and they were, oh my goodness, top ten for sure. So now, how did how did it go? Did you do Spain, then Portugal, then Spain? No, I did Spain the whole time first, and then um, two once, Spains, and then Portugal. I did I three you. Spains actually. Three Spains in a summer. Yeah. So you basically did four Caminos, not three. Yeah, four Francais, yeah. So I'm not giving, you, I did, I'm not giving you full credit here. Well, I did uh, did it uh, in 2018 too, yeah. So you basically done five total. Yeah. Wow. What did, what, but, are we, what are we talking total mileage last summer? Ooh. Um, maybe 2,500, I would think. Wow. Maybe, maybe more. That's like an entire Appalachian Trail or more. Well... Yeah, but it's it's not. Come on, the AT yeah, it's is not as absolutely brutal. Yeah, not know? as much up and down, and you're yeah. you know, the roads you're on. You can probably do three miles an hour much easier on the Camino, I would guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can average four kilometers an hour. So uh, on the Camino, uh, I can maybe do two two and a half on the AT. You know. And I tell you, the PCT is really quite deceiving. Oh, okay. You know, because the inclines are much longer. Right, right. Or even the declines are even much longer, too. So. Right, they're graded much more. Graded for but, horses, I believe. Yeah, but um, still, you keep walking up into these canyons and having to come back out, walk into a canyon, just to be able to hike up another canyon. Yeah. Um, that gets a little old fast. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's the whole, you know, you get to then read the contour of the land you're walking on. Um, that's the one thing um, about the Camino is a lot of it, you know, walks you through farms. So, you know, a lot of it's vineyards. You know, uh, you go through uh, Rioja, you know, through Logroño and everything. That's wine country. So when you go to Logroño, you got to go to San Juan, Calle Swan, San Juan or Calle Laro. The tapas bars there are just... Uh, now we're still talking Spain, right? Tell me about the Portugal route because I know uh, very little about it. Where does it start? Well, we, Where does it end? Well, it actually starts in Lisbon. We did the um, from Porto, uh, which is what, like two hundred and seventy-five? Is it kilometers? It took us right at like two weeks. You know, we took okay. our time. Um, but uh, you walk, you walk either through like the suburbs of Porto on the central route, or you can take the uh, coastal route. Uh, we took the coastal route. The coast is gorgeous. Oh, I can imagine. Um, it's um, a little more commercial and developed than I thought it would be. Hmm. Uh, but I was warned that it was, you know, pretty much a lot of the coast on Portugal is, um, you know, uh, developed. Um, so, and it's also, man, you are getting the wind right off of the ocean. It is just, is that good or bad? Well, actually it was a nice day for us. So it was just really windy. 
but it, no, it was fine when, when we walked it. Um, what what then, are we talking like? Give me the months. Are you, we, did you start in March and go through? Uh, we did or? this. We did this in October. Wow, that late. Yeah. So did, weren't yeah. you over there as early as February? Did I see that? Uh, well, the, so when I did the first, that well, that's when I actually, uh, well, no, it was, I didn't get to Europe until July. Right, oh, okay. Fourth, fourth of July. You know, I guess I, I, I did the tour to Mont Blanc as well. Oh, so I've actually got another podcast on that. I was going to ask you though, mm. all the awesome trails over in Europe, you know, why do the Camino four times in a summer? Well, uh, so it just kind of worked out that way. I was supposed to actually be doing the Camino and be done with it by July so I could then do uh, the um, just so the passes could clear on the Tour de Mont Blanc. I was thinking of doing either the GR 10, 11, or 12, which is the, through the Pyrenees on both the French and the uh, Spanish uh, border. Uh, the Camino actually does parts of it here and there. Um, yeah, I thought about doing the Pyrenees part as well because I've met a few people that had done it. I almost went and did the Via de la Plata, but it was too late in the year because the southern Spain is just like a frying pan. You have to do that kind of in the winter. Gotcha. Well, does the Camino, can, it can get pretty hot, right? Regardless Maceta of, really is hot. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. But um, I didn't seem to have too much of a problem. Um, you know, I'd just been in the desert, you know, for, what, two months before that. Yeah. And yeah. Wait. So let me think of this. Let's talk about your summer last year because it sounded pretty epic. So you you started it in, with doing the PCT. Yeah. You did four hundred miles. Yeah. And then you went over to um, Spain, or yeah. and you you did the Camino before you did the Tour de Mont Blanc. No, I did the Tour de Mont Blanc. Well, I only did the first five four days okay. because I got some kind of a wicked cold or something like that, and I I couldn't acclimatize. I couldn't clear the passes. Yeah. I couldn't clear the calls. I did what was called a senior was when I went into Italy. And um, so I did a couple of the smaller routes out of Chamonix. Um, That's France, I, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I went back uh, to Lahouche, which is the start of and the traditional start of the um, uh, Tour de Mont Blanc. So I still have Switzerland to do and uh, the backside of France. You know, that's. That's like three or four days. But, um, you know, that's a serious walk. Um, the Tour is, de Mont Blanc? Yeah. Um, you're really exposed up there. It's really nice that they have the refugios. refugios. Um, you can, you know, it's you can either camp there if you want. Some people did. Um, most people would just, you know, stay at the refugio. It's like a hut, like mm -hmm. a mountain hut, yeah, right? yes, yeah. similar to what you'd have in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Or... Uh, yeah, these are a little bit maybe more rustic. Some of them are actually a little nicer, um, but that depends on how close they are to some kind of a road to be able to be um, serviced. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous up there in the Alps. It is um, stunning. I've got to get back there. Yeah. Uh, you're right, though. There's There's a ton of you know, uh, places that you would love to go because you don't necessarily know Europe as being a little as open as maybe the U.S. is. 
you know they when you say open how do you mean uh you know being able to walk through like the pyrenees you know what's it like it's actually it seems from talking to uh these english you know uh guys that were doing i can't remember which routes they were taking but it sounded like it was very regulated between how like the camino was is you know they have towns that you can go into the private land is what you're saying we're, yeah we're in the united states there's so much more public land we're, right right i got you I'm with so you. I, I think uh you know there's more opportunity here for the but you get up into it, it's quite touristed in in the summertime. There were a lot of people. They would start in town, walk up to to the refugios, have lunch or whatever in the afternoon, and then walk back down to the next town and just stay. Right? And then stay. Yeah. Um, and that's a perfect way to do it. You can, you know, slack pack the whole thing basically. Yeah, right. You don't you have know. to carry a mega pack. Of course, mm-hmm. you're traveling pretty light these days, Philip. You brought your pack over what do you got like a entire kit with what, what 20 pounds or something 15 oh my god that's that's, that's only wrong. one days of food but you know uh so it's usually what two more pounds per day you know so for four or five i can probably be right around 20 or so that's impressive you know and we're not getting any younger so that's the way to roll right yeah back back easier on my light. feet and my back yeah yeah so so philip we kind of were talking about this earlier the spain route the portugal route um how how were the trips similar, and how were they different? Food's definitely different. The language takes getting used to uh, Portuguese. Uh, you know, after though there are similarities. You know, there is definitely a different um, the way you know things are stressed. You know, as far as on different words. I mean, it might be very similar as far as how they're, but the way it's pronounced. Uh, you have to get a little bit of an ear for it before it kind of starts to become a little bit easier to recognize. I mean, it sounds like you can get along pretty easily with English. Uh, uh, yeah, well, part. we are lucky. English, to some degree, has become almost like a universal language. Um, not it, that I'm saying that, you know, um, I mean, I'm just saying for maybe the moment, you know, 20 years from now, who knows, it could be, you know something else but for right now you know um it seems like if you if you you do not speak spanish or portuguese i'm hearing that you wouldn't have any issue whatsoever no you you can get by just fine um you know it's enough of of an established and that's another thing Uh, the francais is very heavily established uh the portuguese route is becoming much more established than what it was even five or ten years ago uh, is my understanding. I mean, if you and, were to do it again, would you do one of these two routes again, or would you do something different? I'd really like to try and do the Vila del Plata, um, which is what, like eleven hundred kilometers, I think. And that's uh, what what countries? Uh, that's just uh, from southern Spain all the way up to Santiago. Okay. Um, and now, did, but, did, I, did I hear you say basically you like the Spanish food better? Uh, no, I love Spanish food. You know. Uh, those guys know how to barbecue. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, they know how to barbecue. But uh, we're gonna get into uh, that, a little of that later. Portuguese food, I just really liked as well. Um, it just seemed like the menu was a little bit more diversified uh, in northern Portugal on the sections that we were at, um, where it seems like depending on, so you go to some of the bigger towns or cities, 
you know, in Spain, you're going to be able to get anything that you that you really want to eat. So <laughs> there you go. Was the Portuguese route less traveled? Do you think it is like significantly uh, less or just slightly? Yeah, significant. I mean, I think they get maybe a third of what the uh, um, maybe even less than that. I think it's like around sixty, eighty thousand, maybe. The whole year they might get like a hundred thousand, maybe. I'm not sure, but I think that's that's around. It's about a third of what the yearly average might be. I mean, to the um, point that uh, it might make it more attractive for some people. You know? I definitely, it's more attractive for that uh, because you don't have necessarily the crowds. It's so nice. Uh, Valencia is just, which is on the border of uh, Spain. You hike across the bridge from Portugal to uh, Tui and. Uh, this fort in Valencia is just, uh, just wow. So that fort, Philip, it sounds like it's a coastal fort. I'm guessing. Uh, no, it's on a river though. Oh, okay. It's on a river. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, and at that time you're hiking into, um, uh, you're crossing into Spain, and then hooking on up to uh, Santiago. And you talked about earlier that there's multiple routes from multiple countries. I mean, any others that are super intriguing to you? You know, any of the ones on the Lupuy routes, you know, in France, um, I have just heard rave reviews from everybody that's done them. Hmm. Uh, I've met one person that actually uh, did it from uh, Rome, and uh, and he was camping. Okay. And, you know. A little uh, more rustic then on well, the uh, Italy Dude, Italy I, I, I tell you, I was talking to him and I was like, respect. <laughs> I mean, you did know? it sound like something you wanted to do? Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. Um, you know, I kind of did something similar, you know, in uh, in Greece for a couple summers and was it Southeast Asia for a summer as well. So, um, yeah, you know, he's just this young cat that just, you know, uh, absolutely just no money happy as can be and just and he was he literally just walked right across europe um a polish guy was doing uh one with his dog Mm. and i saw him twice once on the meseta in uh spain and then i saw him like a month later in portugal so let's talk about dogs for a second, because on the Appalachian Trail, pretty common to see somebody with a dog. I've heard it's a lot less common on the PCT. You can speak to that. I can see why with the desert areas. But, you know, the European hikes seem much more difficult to do with a dog just because you're in town so much, right? Yeah, that's probably that the big, Yeah, I would, I would think so because you're around cars a lot. Well, I wouldn't um, think the albergues would not take animals typically. Is that fair to say? Some do, some don't, yeah. Um, though, people that have, like, smaller dogs. Uh-huh. It's not as much I, of an issue. I don't, unless they're just yappy. Okay. Um, Aren't all small dogs yappy? <laughs> Sorry. Just had to put that out there. Hey, this Polish cat that I met <laughs> in Portugal, you know, with his little dog, Pinto. Um, yeah, uh, that was... Everybody loved that dog. He never had a problem getting into an albergue. Hey, I got to one more time plug Squatch's Wayfaring, by the way. Have you seen that movie yet? I know we talked about it last episode. You know, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't sat down and just watched the whole thing because I remember years ago when you told me about that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's such a funny movie. You probably get it on Amazon now, but uh, um, 
it's really good. It's it gives a great representation, I think, of of uh, of not just the Camino, but the people, and also he does it yeah. in a humorous way. So just want to put that plug out there for you know. For I tell you, um, you know, whether it's the Camino or the AT, it's you know you really do just meet the weird, the wonderful, and um, you know I'm, I'm better for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's the old saying they always say with Austin? Keep it weird. Yeah, 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 I like that. So I did want to ask you about the best time to hike the Camino. When, when do you, what do you think it is? is it late, kind of late summer? Is it early fall? Is it early spring? So I really liked harvest season. Boy, I tell you, you just eat your way from one end of that trail to the other. <laughs> uh, it's grapes. It's figs, uh, oranges, lemons, limes, um, you know, and then towards late summer fall or fall maybe is when they do olives as well um but you know you're not gonna eat those right off the tree okay uh, not, just, not an olive guy myself so I, I, you can count on me not eating one off Spanish the tree olives are yeah. dynamite. <laughs> they are good oh yeah, oh, uh, yeah. my wife loves them but so. yeah i i would say fall just because it's still warm the crowds have kind of died down the weather is typically uh dry you know and the temperatures are moderating uh the only thing is is you know you might want some cloudy days you know on the meseta but if it starts i mean the storms the rainstorms i've walked through in that thing you're just so exposed you have nowhere to go and you know, you got, you've got a 40 mile, you know, hour, you know, rain right in front of your face. And, you know, there's <laughs> the tree's just not big enough to stand behind. If you're going to get snow, it's mostly just going to be in the French Pyrenees, right? Or, uh... yeah, I mean, you can get it in Galicia too. Um, so if you up in Osobrero, yeah, um, you'll definitely have there was snow up there in April when I did wow. the first one. That's so later, later than I would have thought. What, what elevations are we talking here? I think it's... I think a Sobrero is like 1,500 meters. So around 3,500 feet, maybe 3,200 You're getting snow at that level, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the Pyrenees is, I think, a bit higher. I'm not sure what the elevation on the Napoleon route is. Um. But yeah, I I think that that's, I mean the first time I I did it it was hip deep in snow when I crossed wow you know France into Spain that had to be an experience yeah and I had to do the Valcarlo route uh, the the low route because there was two meters of snow up on the Napoleon route okay so they do have some alt alt routes I guess that's common CDT PC two do that but. Well, no, uh, what they do is they have alternate routes all. So one's a high route, one's the low route. So when the high route snowed in, um, they, the year I did the first Camino in 2018, they had the Beast from the East, which was this huge just cold front that just put everybody into a deep freeze. Mm. I mean, I headed to Granada, and I don't know if it was far enough south, mm. um, but I wasn't freezing like everybody else. No, where's Granada? Oh, it's in south of Spain. Okay. It's where Alhambra is, which is an old Moorish, the Moorish Versailles. Okay. It's right in the shadow of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Uh, it's at, 
I missed it the first time I went through Granada. It took me 28 years to get back to see it, and it was definitely worth it. Um, My man, you are definitely well-traveled. I'll give you that all day long. So back to the Camino for a second. I mean, I asked you this question before, but I'm curious now that you've done it four more times since we talked last time. Um, what, what percentage of people are you meeting that are out there for religious reasons or spiritual and are just out there for journey? It seems like on all of this stuff, you know, um, and this is a vast overgeneralization, I'm sure. Um, we all have our own reasons, you know, for doing this. And whether you, it, you call it religious, spiritual, or whatever, um, I, to some degree, think it's all a little tied together. Now, for some people, it might just be just the sheer adventure, you know, um, there really is something to be said that, you know, you're just walking with people. Um, there are definitely people I've met on the AT, the PC, everywhere. You know, we, we're all working some of our own stuff out. Yeah. Um, you know, the Camino is no different. You know, people go there to unburden themselves. It's kind of an honor when they do. So you think that's the common denominator of uh, people you meet out there? Or is that not necessarily the case? I think nowadays we're so connected. Sometimes we just need to kind of disconnect a little bit and kind of be fascinated by the world. Yeah, that's that's a fun place to be. Yeah. You know, um, we get so cynical sometimes just by watching the news or whatever. Come on, you just knock on somebody's door and say hello and they're just like everybody else. You know, <laughs> you know with all the, the pandemic and politics going on in the news right now, yes, it's easy to get cynical. So I hear you, I hear you yeah, loud yeah. and clear, for sure. Well, I, I have always thought, though, there's something redemptive, you know, it restoreth the soul. Uh, the hiking, I mean, hiking, hiking, walking, well, even just, you know, the walking. And, you know, sometimes you walk with people and they just want to talk your ear off and that's not a problem. Sometimes... You've said all you need to say and just hike in silence, you know. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, when you hike with people for months, you know, you know, you've already said there, been there, done that, you know, kind of thing as far as initially. I enjoy the mix actually. I enjoy the conversing, the quiet and the occasional music. And then the just bugs, the bees, the buzzing, the nature sounds, you know. Yeah, well, that is one reason why I don't listen to music when I hike. Um, I like being in the present. Um, you know, Southern California, you have to listen for rattlesnakes. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, do. Uh, Pennsylvania on the AT. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. actually, I saw more rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania than anywhere else on the, uh, on the trail. It wow. was just, you know, that's what really just c cemented it for me was every single rock pile I was climbing on, I was just climbing right over all of those snakes. I saw seven, <laughs> seven in like two days in Pennsylvania. More rattlesnakes than I think I've ever I've seen. I've seen like a life. dozen all scattered around right um, right out of Duncannon on a sunny spot. There were like a dozen just all on these different rocks. Mm. And I've never been more nervous walking. Uh, that, And they were on both sides of the trail too. I mean, you got reason to be nervous. That's legit. Yeah. Uh, I think they're kind of at least telling you, you know, hey, we're here. Don't step on us. Just stay away. And they were far enough away, so, you know, clack, clack, clack. I was just, I was trucking, so. At least we get a warning from a rattlesnake. Right, yeah. Do we have a rattlesnake outside of our door right here? Sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> you want to let him in? Mm -hmm. 
My dog is dying to come in. He's very unhappy. That he's not. He's not included. Hey, so on that topic, let's shift gears. We talked about the Camino a lot. Um, you know, listeners can pop back to episode fifty-six. They can watch Squatch's movie, which um, uh, we talked about in episode thirty. So there's uh, there's also the It's Your Camino podcast that we did uh, with uh, a guy that wrote a book that hiked. So lots of Camino information on the podcast series. But um, back to the AT for a second. You you had an interesting experience. What, just a couple of weeks ago? Last week. Oh, it was last week. Yeah. Do you want to tell the listeners about that? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I was planning on spending the night up in either uh, Cow Rock or Wolf Laurel Top. And so Cow Rock was kind of crowded. There were a few people that were already camped up there. Headed on up to Wolf Laurel and was up there. And... In the summertime, actually, Wolf Laurel is a dynamite oh, site. Great views. Yeah, but in the summertime, it's a bit buggy and overgrown. Yeah, I've so, been up there a few times. It's been super buggy. Yeah, so, but I was sitting there just taking a break, eating the other half of my uh, Subway sandwich. That was probably stinking the place up. <laughs> and the, that's what brought it. Brought that's where the story I, begins. I think. I don't doubt it. And the old dog just went woof, and I was like, "What's going on, girl?" And not even 10, 12 feet away was a bear. And he wouldn't leave. <laughs> Are we talking about young bear? You know, yeah, it was an adolescent. So okay. actually, I've known about this bear family for about two or three years, I think, that have that are living up on that ridge on between, I think it's like, oh, what's that Whitney Gap or whatever shelter there oh, yeah. off of like a wildcat, wildcat off of Wildcat? Yeah. Uh, to Neil's or maybe even beyond, I've got a feeling they're probably going to have to make that a uh, bear canister section. Well, now. they're probably going to have to take the bears out because it goes all the way to Girard Gap on the other side of Neil's, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And, you, and I don't know if you heard the story about Thermrider and his uh, tent getting thrashed open by a bear, but that happened at Woods Hole Shelter. Did it really? Yeah. Did it really? Oh, wow. Yeah, this was a few years back. but And then I knew somebody else... Um, we call him Dirty Red, but he uh, he was near Trey Mountain, and um, he basically had bears come into camp, very similar to you, and um, they had to leave because the bears were not leaving. So anyway, I don't want to trump your story, but so the bear's not leaving, and he's not doing anything. He's just sitting there, you know, just looking around the tree at me and everything. And I was like, oh my god, and uh, so I was like, all right. He's well, you not, did have a Subway sandwich in your hand. Well, not anymore, but the, <laughs> I had the wrappers. I had the wrapper still. That was the, probably the problem, too. Okay. Um, and so I was like, well, darn, I'm going to have to clear out of here because he's not going to leave. The only thing I could think of was maybe just throwing him the wrapper, and that just really just would have irked the crap out of me, you know. Here, take it. Just encouraging him. Yeah, no, I, exactly. Well, exactly, and that is the problem. So uh, I packed up, hiked on back down to the perch, um, and there was a couple that was camping there. I mean, they had they were there when I walked by before. We were chatting with them and let them know, look, we just seen a bear up there. We're you know planning on heading back down. They were like, oh no, stay with us, you know, just camp here. They were like, okay, you know, sure. So we hang out. Um, I hang the hammocks up. And right as 
the sun's going down. You know, I get tapped on the shoulder and it's like, you just had two bears walk right by your hammock. <laughs> Not even six, eight feet. Didn't even face you. I mean, because I was only right off of, you know, the AT off the trail. Okay. And uh, they walked right down the AT. Yeah, it's convenient. And, yeah. That, well, well, the thing travel. is, I, I didn't hear them. And um, it was, they, they said it was a bigger one and a smaller one. And I was like, how small? They were like, I said, was it a cub cub? And they were like, no. Mom. Um, yeah. Well, but there is a family that does live up on the, that ridge. That's what who they were. Okay. So I was like, so where are they heading to? They had skirted our, you know, campsite. And I was like, well, where are they going? And she's like, oh, I think they're going for my food bag. <laughs> of course. They and are. I was like, where well, else would they be going? Well, where's your food bag? She's like, uh, well, we just tied it to a tree. And I was like, what? Yeah, uh, well, she work. well, she had an ursac. Oh, okay. Um, and But the thing is, is they just tied it to the bottom of a tree. So I listened to these two bears just absolutely try and maul this bag for an hour and a half, <laughs> thinking uh, the whole time, I really should just be getting out of here. Yeah, they, at least they, they weren't they after were, you. Well, and they weren't aggressive to us at all. I mean, all they really wanted they to do was the they, just, they just wanted the yogi. That's all. Yeah. Um, it just means it's going to keep getting worse up there, though. So that's it. And that you know, and so I was like, well, and I'm sitting there and I hear this like hiss, almost sounds like right in my ear. It's like, oh my god, this thing's right outside of my hammock. We're not back to snakes, are we? No. <laughs> no. This is a four-legged hiss. Yeah, and uh, so I peer out of my hammock, and there was nothing there. And I was like, y'all, did you just hear that? And they were like, yeah. And I heard it again, and I look up, and it's just eight feet above us in a tree. Man. A bear. Wow. He had been there the whole time. He's watching you. Well, they had scared him up the tree when they had come in to camp. Uh, and he was sitting there thinking they were, oh, they'll probably leave later on or mm. something like that. Well, then I roll up, you know, with a dog. And there's no way that that bear is going to go anywhere. And uh, the other two were hanging around the campsite waiting for him to come down from the tree. And he's like, not with that dog there. Oh, yeah. Definitely a family. No so, doubt. so uh, I packed all my stuff up in, in the dark. You know, it was like midnight by then, by this time, and hike back over to Cow Rock and tell you know uh, the dude there, you know what's what's going on, and he's like, "Do you guys mind waiting? You know, <laughs> you guys I'm pack gonna up. pack up." <laughs> well, as we're walking down. The bears were actually coming in for his food bag. Oh, wow. And he ended up getting it down out of the tree and uh, hiking it down. Mm. And uh, those guys, though, they, I mean, I, I mean, all I did was I had hammocks up, that's all. So it was real easy for me to just pack up and go. Yeah, yeah. Um, the two people that were up on our campsite, they left all their stuff up there. Oh, they, and they just left. They just went oh, down, I can't to, sleep, imagine. Just went down got... to sleep in the car and then get up in the morning. And then, so I can only imagine what maybe the, uh, oh, the carnage. Yeah. I wow. imagine that Ursac though is going to have to be on a, you know, <laughs> should be on the commercial. You know, did it make it or not? I think it got digested by a bear. I don't know. I mean, wow. but they sure were trying. 
I think you made the right call there, Philip, for sure. Now, I should have left, actually, before because uh, I have known, you know, that there's been this heavy bear activity up there, and I have heard them. I mean, I've been going there for, what, over 30 years? Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've definitely noticed it in the last two or three years, for sure. Yeah, and I, w- I wanted to mention, first of all, some of the causes. I got my opinions. Um, winters are mild. We've got, that means there's lots of food for the bears. There's a lot of careless backpackers, it seems like. I mean, I think that's certainly a factor. Yeah. Um, what, what suggestions do you have to the listeners here to not be a bear problem in the woods? Well, my first mistake was having, you know, a Subway sandwich along with me. I mean, just the odors alone that that, you know, and once you, you even... endorsed by Subway? Uh, hey, <laughs> you know, hey, any, any sandwich that you can take into the, for the first day, it's kind of like a habit when I always went out, you know, when I, you know how it is when you hike out of town, I mean, you're really kind of carrying a lot of food, but you want at least a little something from town. Sure. You know, for the first night or something, so no, or for you. or for lunch. I've yeah. been known to take food on the trail, especially on a multi-day trip. That first night, you know, something yeah. good before you start getting into your dehydrated or and get a little, especially when you start already been eating that stuff for three, four, five months at a time. Less exciting. All right, Philip, we're gonna close this out with a few final questions. But before I do this, do you know the first time that we talked on a podcast? Can you venture a guess on when that was? No. So uh, this will be episode 79. You and I first spoke on episode 7 oh, yeah. in October of 2011. Uh, was that at um, Lake Burton? That was, okay, yeah. yeah. Can you believe it's, I mean, that was your initial run. So uh, anyway. What was the subject of that one? Long history. Uh, you know, you talked a lot about your just, I mean, to give you some credit here, I mean, you've, you, of all the people I know, you've backpacked around the world more than anybody else. You've got more worldly experience than anyone I know, and, and especially backpacking-wise. So uh, we talked a lot about your trips in the Middle East, Australia, <laughs> I mean, Europe, which we talked about today, I think Asia. I mean, man, we went on and on. But uh, Yeah, I really want to do uh, the Himalayas again. That was nine years ago, man. I know, it was. Nine? Yeah. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. The 07 Global Backpacker uh, podcast with Philip is not on iTunes, but you can come to n2backpacking.com right now and find it, although that may change in the future. I'm thinking about opening all the shows up, so we'll see. But back to the closing questions here, Philip. Um, Here's the one that's driving me crazy. You only have 300 miles left on the AT. Only 300. You're so close. When are you going to do it? Huh? When are you going to do it? Oh, well, I'll do them. No plan? Yeah. Just you're going to wing it? Yeah, well, you know. So, a buddy of mine's Ridge Runner right now up in New Jersey. Okay. So, I can knock a couple sections out there. Um but it's the southern main section that's the hard one. Oh, it's also the best part. Yeah, the bigs. Loved them. You know what? My yeah. suggestion would be for you to go in September or early October. Yeah, it's the time. Probably I t- September, actually. 
I'm telling you, 2017, I had just the best weather through the whites. I took three times longer going through the whites just because I had just perfect weather. You can just, I did five of the huts. So, you know, I was just hopscotching. Love the whites. Amazing views. Um, I was just surprised how, you know, you hike that that far and then it's like, oh my God, this is hard. And it's then, hard. And then you hit southern Maine. Yeah, oh yeah. my God. That's the real deal. Yeah. Um, so that's all Appalachian Trail. Moving to the Pacific Crest Trail, you got close to 500 miles there. Um, what are you thinking there? I would love to just restart and do that thing. The whole um, thing? Yeah, I really, you know... You know, just scratching the surface. Um, Redo the 500 you've already done. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, is I, I think with all of these kinds of trails is you need time, at least I do, to get into really true hiking shape. So I have to, like on the AT, it probably took me, but then again, I had to lose some weight and everything. It took me probably a good six weeks. To it's really not, just to start hitting my stride, and it's not getting any easier either, Philip, because we're not getting any younger. Well, but because I was conditioned, you know, already uh, the PCT, even though it was really still hard, I was, and I don't think it was so much the physical. It was really I had a little bit better expectation of what I was getting myself into, um, and because you know all of it when you first start. You know, there's that physical component, uh, but once the physical thing is not nearly, you know, the thing, it's all in it's the all head. It's all in the head, it man. It really is, goes to mental. Know? I mean, sometimes you just have to get out of your head. That's so true, man. That is very true. Any other uh, long distance hikes on the horizon? So I've been seeing online. I would love to do the uh, Uinta Highline Trail. Um, I think that's Utah. In Utah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that's what, like 100 miles, 110 miles, something like that. Yeah, I know nothing about it. You want to share some basics on that one? Uh, it's just uh, a high ridge line walk that usually takes about a week to do, depending on how many miles you know you want to just crank. Uh, and once you hit elevation, uh, everything that I've seen, it's just, it's beautiful. You probably it got really some mesas, is. some big flat table kind of... No, it, it's it's mountains. Oh, it's up and down. It's 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 okay. up. It's it's up there, and okay. it, it, it it's unexpected. It's in northern Utah, so I mean, but yeah, it's everything that I've seen, you know, is really just absolutely gorgeous. Believe it or not, I would like to maybe try like the Florida Trail. Okay, I've heard a lot of people say great things about it. Like yeah. you got to do it in the winter, basically, right? But. Yeah. Well, you know, hey. Um, it's the best social distancing, you know, uh, yeah. you know, gig going. I'm not sure the South Florida, Georgia are great models for, uh, you know, for how to handle COVID, but yes, you're in the wilderness. Well, so much yeah. safer. Yeah. Well, and you're going into town every three, four five days kind of thing. So, um, I, I hear if you wanted to do the ECT, Southern Alabama is basically a road walk. So, so, so that would be just for the listeners. That would be the Florida trail. Through Alabama to the Appalachian all the way this to Maine. the Pinhody. Yeah, yeah it connects the to the Pinhody. Which, you know, I haven't spent a ton of time on there, but I've actually heard really good things about the Pinhody. I've been up, is it, was it Chiaha State Park, uh, which is, is yeah. that where it starts? 
or is it finishes or something like I, that? I know exactly. It's been it's a while north, since I, Northern Alabama. Yeah, it's it is nice up there. It really is. Uh, yeah, in the fall would be a great time to go. Yeah, I need. I mean, usually we're meeting friends from the Carolinas, so we're going the other way. But I'd love to spend more time in that direction. Well, um, dude, we really should start thinking about stringing some of these things together because I've been wanting to do the Benton Mackay as well. You know, I've actually got a number of sections of the Benton Mackay done, and as the AT gets more and more crowded, I think the Benton Mackay and the Bartram are such good choices. That was another thing. So the Bartram's, what, 78? Uh, is that right? Uh, Just getting a little it's like, shot It's for like 30-something in Georgia, and then I think it's like around 70 or 80 miles. I, my goal is to complete both those trails and I have some decent sections of each done. Um, hey, to revert back to the Camino, since this is the summer in Spain that we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, I mean, you do think there is more Caminos in your future? I hope so. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to do, would you do another Camino before I, you? I, I, no, no, I, I could, I could move to Spain for sure. Before you like hit the AT or PCT again, you think? Well, the AT is my backyard, so. Um, but I mean, long distance. I mean, you're going to keep hiking your backyard. You know, depending on how circumstances work out, it would be nice to. I could do the AT again. Um, okay. I, you know, I, I like it that much. You know, but. Have you done I the foothills? Is a question because the foothills yeah, is awesome. Yeah. The whole yeah. Thing? No, only. Um, what's that section over by Maryville? You talking about the gorgeous section, like the forty mile, the best part, right smack in the middle. That's where, South where, Carolina for the listeners. Yeah, um, mostly. Where's that parking lot at? Uh, well, there, you, there's you like got there's, Whitewater there's, Falls, which is North Carolina. Oh, uh, that no, it's it's on the other side though. Um, not sure. It's awesome uh, for for the listeners. It's a great option in the South. Philip and I have stomped all over the place here. Um. Yeah, that's Sumter. Hey, you know, I know this isn't the year, but to go more uh, international here, you're well-traveled. I mean, what else is on your list? Because uh, you've hit a lot of it. Um, I've always wanted to do the Cordillera Blanca in Peru. Mm. Um, Great call. Um, it. I have just everything that I've read about it. and I think it, you started in a town called Huaca up in the Andes and God, everything that I've heard is just, you're just up on the Altiplano and you're just surrounded by ice. I've heard it's hard great, to breathe up there. I hear I've heard great things about Peru actually. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you obviously have the Patagonia national park down there. I mean, that's at Pine del Toro. Yeah. yeah. I hear that's dynamite as well. Yeah. It's definitely like, on come my on, list. That's how far away. That wow, yeah, and I, I don't know if they have the you know, you look at the resources you have in Europe at some of these European trails, Tour de Mont Blanc and Camino, right? Um, I mean, these are I, these are back country, right? I, I think there are routes in Pine. I actually I was uh walking part of the Tour de Mont Blanc with a Argentinian girl and she was a guide in Pine. Oh, yeah, okay. and so there are certain sections of it right there, I think, where the uh the lake and the peaks are mm -hmm. um there are like refugios and you know that's like their big tourist section of the park but it's so much bigger 
Uh, and they and so they do pretty. yeah but uh and she worked in the main area but that's like you know doing the south rim at yellowstone kind of thing okay like the main part mm, it's I the main you. part of the yeah. park i gotcha so um wanted to give you a chance to plug your youtube channel i know you've been working on that uh, you want to talk about your how uh, people can got, find you no i haven't gotten i haven't even gotten it launched yet i'm just trying to sort through the content right now and trying to figure out how to put a story together and Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you on Twitter, Facebook? If anybody I haven't to... done anything. Man, you say, You're yeah. doing all these trips and you got no nothing to share. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's, uh, you're sharing uh, on the podcast. Uh, that counts for some. But yeah, uh, you know, I just, I just hope people, you know, you know, want to get out there and travel. You know, it's. Hiking is probably the single best way to see a country. It really is. That's the great thing about the Camino. Uh, that's the one thing I learned on the AT. I was literally walking from town to town, village to village, end to end, you know, kind of thing. What, what about the more importantly, what hiking and backpacking have done for you personally? Because I know what it's done for me, but I, I want you to. Oh, I'm that. sure you knew. Come on, tell me the feeling you got when you came off of Katad and you felt like Superman. Oh, um, I just. I, the feeling was incredible. It's even uh, the weekend hikes, though, honestly. I mean, the, the, it, uh, I guess I, I, I sleep better. I sleep better outside than I do at home. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it frees your mind. Uh, well, I, that for sure. You know, I think the physical exertion, you know, I don't get nearly as much physical activity when I'm in the city than, you know, when I'm out in the woods. And I think that helps with the sleep. Then again, you know, when you can't get out of your hammock in the morning because your feet are all swollen and you know, I hear you. well, you know what? Numb. You, you brought your 15 pound backpack with you tonight to show me, and uh, I'm looking forward to going through your ultralight setup. So, um, thanks for yeah. coming. No, thanks for having me. I mean, your reward is I'm going to cook a, a dinner for you tonight, but yeah. it's pouring down rain, so yeah. the barbecue. Uh, grill action is going to get uh, hung up a little bit but uh, anyway great to have you in the studio for the first time it's nice yeah i like it we've done all these interviews and it's usually in the middle of the woods or you know oh yeah yeah that's right yeah it's a new n2 backpack (laughs) got a much better audio setup now there you go so uh, but thank you for coming uh, philip really appreciate it no thanks for having me i'm sure we'll be doing this again yeah and give some thought to colorado three weeks mega trip yeah I've been looking at the maroon bells there. Oh, I've been there. They're awesome. I, I, that's what I hear. Um, Beautiful lakes. Got the passes. I think there's a four-pass loop. Um, could be in your future. But we're going to do a Colorado trail trip. Yeah. Which uh, should I be I would epic. love to, actually. I would love to. I need to get out. I you know, I got to actually so. get some serious You got the invite, in. man. Yeah, I need to. I do need to get away. Well, we'll talk about that more this evening over a steak. Yeah. And uh, once, sure. once again, thank you for uh, for coming into Bird Shooter Studios. <laughs> Enjoyed it. Have a good one. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. 
To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of Into Backpacking and is copyrighted by Into Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at intobackpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.